While the story of Christmas is all about God sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to earth, it's also the story of people and their choices. Today, we'll be looking at some lessons from Joseph's life. This message is the second in the series, Best Christmas. The message is entitled, Begin Your Best. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Well, grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets this morning as we turn our attention to God's Word. As we're getting ready to start this morning, I want us to welcome all the folks at our Frederick campus, all you folks in Frederick this morning, uh, all the folks in Gaithersburg, give them a good round of applause. And you folks in Frederick, welcome. Glad that you're a part of the service here today. We're going to be talking about the best Christmas. We started last weekend talking about how do you and I experience this year the best Christmas that God has in store for us. Last week we talked about wanting the best. I want to talk this weekend about being your best. What does it mean to be your best? Here are four words to remember. Bad, good, better, best. Say it with me. Bad, good, better, best. Once again, bad, good, better, best. Every decision that you will make in life will fit one of those categories. Bad, good, better, best. All of us can look back on our life and we can say, hey, I remember a decision in the first category. Anybody remember one of those decisions? You know, I have a bad decision you made. Some decisions are good, you know, but you say, I could have done better. Some decisions are better than just good, but then you have some decisions, you look back on li- in life and you say, that was one of the best decisions I ever made. So when you categorize the decisions of your life, they will always fit into one of those four categories, bad, good, better, or best. God's plan for your life and my life is not that we would certainly li- not live in the bad and not just in the good or the better, but God's plan is that you would live in the best. Jesus said, that He come, that we might have life and have it to the full. That's the best kind of life that you and I could imagine. But for that to occur, we have to make the right decisions because decisions have consequences. When you make a decision, the decisions you make will have consequences for your life. And when we talk about the Christmas story, while we certainly are very much aware and the central part of the Christmas story is God sending His Son to earth, and Jesus Christ coming, the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us, that's certainly the message of Christmas. But around the Christmas story, there are people that made decisions, people that had to respond to the coming of Christ in certain ways. We talked last weekend about Mary. Mary had to make a choice when the angel Gabriel came to her and said, you're, you're chosen to be the bearer of the Christ child. She was not forced to do this, but she had to make a choice as to whether she would submit to God's will or not, and she did, and she got her best life because of it. And there are others that circle the Christmas story. People like Joseph we'll talk about today and the wise men and the shepherds. Lots of people that are around the Christmas story that made decisions at the coming of Christ that either resulted in something bad, good, better, or best. And this weekend I want us to focus our attention upon a young man by the name of Joseph. He was a young man when we are first introduced to him in Scripture. We do not know how old he was. We know that his fiancée Mary was somewhere under the age of 20, so he would likely have been around that age as well. So he is a young man that has to make a very significant decision. And the Bible describes for us what happens here in the story of Joseph as it centers around the coming of Jesus Christ into our world. We're in Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse number 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. 
As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son. And you're to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. The Christmas story, as it's recorded by Luke, focuses our attention on Mary, but Matthew chose to focus our attention on Joseph. Matthew brings to the center stage this young man, Joseph, and gives us some lessons about his life. Now, we must understand what's going on with Joseph when we're first introduced to him in the Gospel of Matthew. He now knows that Mary has received some kind of angelic, at least based upon her record, some kind of angelic visitation that has described her as being pregnant by the Holy Spirit. She has come to Joseph, her fiancé. They were engaged to be married, and she has now shared this news with Joseph. Joseph found this information hard to understand. In fact, he didn't believe it at all. He did not believe that somehow God had allowed through the Holy Spirit Mary to become impregnated. He felt as though Mary had been unfaithful to him. She's now pregnant. Who was the father? He knew that it was not himself because he had never had sexual relations with with, with Mary. And so he realized this is not me. It had to be somebody else. So he finds himself in a critical moment trying to make some very significant decisions about his future. He's dealing with a lot of emotions. He's dealing with a lot of of, a variety of, of options available to him in terms of what he will do. He has to choose, what will I do now given the information I have in front of me? And all of us face times in our life like that. Here's some information in front of us, and what do we do with it now? How do we respond to it? How do we handle this information that seems very much like bad news? What will we do? One of the great things about Joseph, as we see in this story, and As you see him, the limited amount of information we have about him in the Bible is that Joseph was a man of great character. He was a man that had some depth to his life. He was not a shallow person. We talked a bit about that last week, the importance of having depth to your life. And Joseph was a man of depth, a man of character. And because he had character, he did the right thing. He did the best thing. Character is one of the most important things you will ever develop in your life because character is really what you are. I've listed on your notes some things that relate to character. It's important to lay this foundation before I talk more specifically about Joseph today. There are five characteristics of character in your life. First of all, it's who you are in private. Anybody can be good in public, but if you're really good in private, if you live the right kind of life when no one else is watching, that's an action, that's a demonstration of your character. Character is what you are when you're under pressure. What you really are will come out when the pressure is on. Character is what God will test in your life. See, God comes along and God does test you from time to time. He tests you not only just to understand where you are in your relationship with Him, but for you to understand where you are in your relationship with Him. And so there are testing times that we go through. The Bible talks of the kind of tests that we walk through. And God is not testing our gifts. He's testing our character. He's testing who we are on the inside. Character is always revealed. It's revealed by your actions. It's revealed by your attitudes, what attitude you have in life. It's revealed by the words that you say. The Bible says out of the abundance of your heart, your character, your mouth, 
mouth will speak. And so character becomes evident, not immediately, but character becomes evident over a period of time. If you want to know somebody's character, watch them over a period of time. Because over time, they're going to reveal what they really are. And then character is also the significant thing that God looks at when He wants to use you or me, when He wants to allow us to be a part of the work of His kingdom. He is not interested in your gifts. He's interested in your character because your character is the foundation for everything else in your life. It's like an iceberg. You only see in an iceberg about 10% of what the iceberg is. 90% of it is underwater, but it's what supports everything else. It's true for you and me. And Joseph was a young man who had these qualities in his life. He was a man of character. And I want to describe three of the characteristics of Joseph. Because I think and I know that Joseph, because his example is in the Bible, provides us an example to learn from. And I want to help us today learn something from the life of Joseph. Three things that you'll notice about Joseph that you and I need to develop in our lives if we're going to have our best life and be the best we can be for God. First of all, you have to make a choice to respect God. I'll use another phrase there. You have to be godly. Choose to be godly. Choose to respect God. The very first thing that we learn about Joseph in this passage of Scripture is that Joseph was a very godly man. He respected God. He reverenced God. He feared God. Listen again as I read verses 18 and 19. Listen closely. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. Now we're introduced. Here's Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a, what's the next phrase there, a, what kind of man was he? Circle that phrase on your notes. He was a good man. I'm going to come back to it in a moment. And did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. The first thing the Bible tells us about Joseph is that he was a good man. The word that's used here for good is more than just he was a nice guy. See, there are a lot of nice guys out there, but Joseph wasn't just a nice guy. The word that's used for good is a word, in fact, some translations render it righteous. He was a righteous man. He was a godly man. He was a man that respected God. He was a man that feared God. He was a man that reverenced God. And I will tell you that if you want to have your best life and be your best for God, it all starts with a respect for God, a reverence of God, a fearing of the Lord. Now, as soon as I say fearing the Lord, some folks get a little upset with that, but it's a biblical term. When I talk about fearing God, and when the Bible talks about fearing God, we're not in any way talking about shrinking back from God as though that God is angry at you and, and out to get you. No, that's not the image of God that we see in the Bible. But fearing God simply means this, that you respect who He is. You realize that God's not your buddy, God is God. And when you and I relate to God, uh, sadly, in our world today, we have a lot of people who talk about God, but they relate to God as though He's sort of a buddy that they can hang around with. Listen, God is not your buddy. God is God. He's your Father. He loves you. He cares for you. But I would assure you that if the Shekinah glory and presence of God were to show up in this place today in an incredible fashion, you wouldn't be saying, hey, buddy God. You'd be on your knees, bowing yourself before the majesty of a God that there is no one like. He's above every God. He's a massive, amazing, incredible God. And Joseph realized this. He said, I respect 
I reverence, I fear the authority of who God is. I'm willing to submit myself to a God that's not just my buddy. Yes, he's a friend, and yes, he is my father, but I reverence him. And the Bible tells us something about the reverencing or the fearing of God, the respect of God. Notice what the Scripture says in Psalm 111, verse 19. The fear of the Lord or the reverence for God, the respect for God is the beginning of what? If you're going to be a wise person, you've got to have your best life, it all starts with doing what? Fearing God. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. All who follow His precepts have good understanding. To Him belongs eternal praise. Do you respect God? Do you have a reverence for God in your life? Do you have that sense that God is God and I want to bring myself under His rule and under His authority, that He is the all-wise God? And that I want to submit my life to him. The first thing the Bible tells us about Joseph's character, he was a good man. He was a righteous man. He was a godly man. He was a man that feared the Lord. He was a man that reverenced God. He was a man that respected God. He was a man that gave God his rightful place in his life. The second thing we understand about Joseph uh, from this passage, a characteristic that you and I need to develop in our lives as well if we're going to be our best for God is we must be gracious Be godly, but also be gracious. You know, there are people who claim to love God and respect God, but they're still not very gracious. You met any folks like that before? Jesus had to deal with them throughout his entire ministry. They were called the Pharisees. They were supposedly righteous guys, godly people, but their attitudes stunk. They had no grace toward people. In fact, any time Jesus would reach out and try to help someone who was hurting, they always had an objection to the grace demonstrated by Jesus. And so there are a lot of religious people that say, you know, I love God and I fear God, but they have no grace in their life at all. And if you're going to have the kind of character you need to have to get the best life that God wants you to experience, you have to also not just be godly, you have to learn how to be gracious. Joseph was a gracious man. Look at verse 19 with me again. Let's see the graciousness of Joseph. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man, righteous man, respected God, and did not want to disgrace her, that's Mary, publicly. So he decided to break the engagement, how? Quietly. I want you to please notice that phrase that he did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. That's a very important phrase. Because I want you to see what's happening here. When Mary came to Joseph and said, Joseph, I want you to know that I'm expecting a child. And by the way, God is the father of this child. The Holy Spirit came upon me and I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. You can believe that Joseph had a whole lot of skepticism. He didn't believe that this is how she got pregnant. He believed that Mary had been unfaithful to him. It's very clear that he believed that. And he's trying to determine, how am I going to respond to a lady I thought I knew? I thought I knew Mary. I thought I knew her character. I thought I knew something about her. In fact, I'm engaged to be married to her, and now she's been unfaithful to me. At least it appears that she's been unfaithful to me. She's telling me this story about how now she's pregnant, and I don't believe a bit of it, but how am I going to respond in this situation? How am I going to handle it? Now listen, when you have been disgraced by someone, what do you want to do to them? What is the natural human tendency when someone disgraces you? What is your desire? To disgrace them. If somebody embarrasses you, what is your human desire? To embarrass them. If somebody hurts you, what is your human desire? To hurt them. 
If someone puts you in an awkward set of circumstances that you've now got to deal with and a lot of stuff that you didn't anticipate having to deal with, you're now having to face, what do you want to do to them? You want to put the same thing right back on them. You want to make them pay for what they have done to you. And by the way, Joseph would probably have been, it is his, his rights depending upon how the law was interpreted, but it could have very clearly been interpreted that, that Joseph could have been in the, his rights to have Mary stoned because of her unfaithfulness, her perceived unfaithfulness of Mary to himself. That's how serious it was. But the Bible says something about Joseph. The Bible says that as he thought about this thing, he said, you know what? I feel like she's not been very gracious to me and faithful to me, but, but I don't, don't want to treat her the way I feel like she treated me. And so I've been disgraced, but I don't want to disgrace her. I've been embarrassed, but I don't want to embarrass her. I have been treated wrongly, but I don't want to give back what I received. I have been, I've experienced unfaithfulness from her, but I don't want to demonstrate any level of unfaithfulness toward her. He chose, listen closely, he chose in this moment a pathway that is very difficult for most of us to choose. It is the pathway of being gracious. He said, I'm going to deal with this graciously and put her away quietly. Did Joseph have pain? Of course he did. Did he have disappointments? Of course, of course he did. But he didn't let those emotions rule his life. He didn't want a disgrace. He said, I'm going to deal with this quietly. Listen closely. The Bible says something about love. You can read this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. There's a very clear description of love. There are a lot of places where the Bible describes the love of God, but the Scripture says, 1 Peter 4, 8 says it this way, for love covers a multitude of sin. Love has covering power. Love covers a multitude of sin. Love says, I'm not going to expose you in a way that is damaging to your nature, damaging to your character. Love wraps in things that and, and, and embraces and, and cares for people that maybe haven't cared for you in the way that you would like to be cared for. It's an amazing thing, and Joseph demonstrated this with his life. Where are you in terms of graciousness? On the inside of you, where are you in terms of your attitudes toward people? Do you, are you godly but not very gracious? Oh, there are a lot of folks like that. They love God. Don't like some people, though. They don't treat people with the same grace they've received from God. And so God says, if you're going to experience my grace in your life, I want you to extend that grace to others. And so we make the choice to be godly. Yes, that's where you get your best life. To be gracious, that's where you get your best life. And then number three, you have to be guidable. Be godly, be gracious, and be, what's that word again? Guidable. Joseph was a very guidable person. Notice verses 19 and 20 again with me. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man. He's godly, respects God. Did not want to disgrace her publicly. He's a gracious man, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Would you please notice a phrase in verse number 20, as he considered this. Say it with me. As he considered this. That key word is considered. As he considered this. Here's Joseph in this dilemma. 
He's godly. He feels like Mary has been unfaithful to him, and so his righteousness feels this sense of indignation about the circumstance. But he's gracious. He doesn't want to hurt her in a public manner, so he's thinking about what to do. And his, his process of considering this, thinking about it, he had come to a conclusion. He had come to a decision. When we first meet Joseph in the Bible, he was a man who had already made a decision, right? Had he already made a decision? Yes or no? What was his decision? Put her away what? Quietly. His, his mind, in some ways, his mind was made up. He determined this is going to be the best course of action. But he's, he continues to consider this thing. Because the word consider there in the original language is a word that means to actually look for input, to look for more inspiration, to have the impartation of wisdom. So while he had decided what he felt like was the right path, there was still something inside of him that says, I want to make sure I'm getting all the wisdom necessary for this situation. I want to make sure that I'm guidable. I want to make sure that I'm not making a mistake here. I'm still open to having my mind changed. Boy, that's a big thing, isn't it? Even though I've made a decision, there's something inside of me that says, you know what, I'm still open to allowing God to change my mind. I'm still open to responding to the input, the impartation of wisdom, the inspiration of God. He's looking for, he continues to seek for that wisdom. He is a guidable person. What does it mean to be guidable? To be guidable is very simply being capable of being guided that you're teachable, that you're humble, that you have the capacity to respond to the input necessary for your life, the wisdom that needs to be imparted to your life, that you're able to, to desire that, to look for it, to want it in your life in a way that will help you find the best path for your life. Because none of us will ever find our best path unless we're guidable. Amen? You have to be guidable. The Bible speaks quite a bit about this important attitude of heart, this characteristic, this character trait of guidability, teachability. Would you please notice with me Psalm 32, verses 8 and 9? I want to ask you to read this together with me. Let's all read it aloud and loudly. This is from the New Living Translation. Here we go. The Lord says, now stop there for a moment. Who's talking here? God's talking, right? The Lord is. Now what does God say? Here we go. I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. Stop there for a moment. What does God want to do for you? What does that scripture say? Guide you where? What kind of pathway? What kind? Not just good or better. Well, what? So God says, I want to guide you along the best pathway for your life. Now, see, there's a pathway that is best for you. You, that's why you can't judge your life on the basis of somebody else's because your path is different from somebody else's path and God has a best pathway for every person. Isn't that good to know? That's why you don't need to waste your time comparing yourself with other people because you don't have to run their race, thank God. The only race you have to run is yours, okay? The only pathway you've got to walk is your pathway, but I want to find the best pathway for my life, amen? Not somebody else's, but for my life. So God says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. Read, read the rest with me. I will advise you and watch over you. So isn't that a great promise? Amen? 
That's one you put on your refrigerator, right? God says, I will guide you along the pathway, best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Thank God, hallelujah, God wants to guide me. A great verse. However, please notice that verse 9 goes along with verse number 8. Do, read it with me. Do not be like a senseless horse or a mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. God says, I want to get you on the best pathway, but your biggest enemy is you. The biggest problem is your own stubbornness. The biggest problem is your own unwillingness to allow me to be a guide to your life. It is a lack of guideability, a lack of teachability, a lack of humility in your life that will allow me to have impartation that will get you and keep you on the best pathway. Listen, dear ones, you and I will never find the best pathway for our life unless we are guideable. And all too often, we're way more stubborn than we like to admit. And our stubbornness keeps us on a bad path, good path, a little better path, but it oftentimes will keep you away from your best path. And by the way, it is impossible, listen closely, it is impossible to be used by God long-term without being guidable. If you're going to be used by God long-term, you have to be teachable. You have to be able to respond to God's wisdom. You have to have the capacity to change your mind because sometimes you don't think the right way about things you know that sometimes the way you think about things not even right at all sometimes the way you think about people not even right did you know that Mary had an Joseph had a thought about Mary that wasn't true didn't he Joseph viewed Mary as being unfaithful to him had Mary ever been unfaithful to Joseph no So Joseph believed something about Mary that wasn't true, and he was about to make a decision in his life based upon an untrue fact. But the good news was this. He was guidable. He was teachable enough that he had the heart and mind to say, God, I'm willing to let you change the way I think. One other thing I want to say about this before we wrap up today. There's a very important word in the New Testament. And the theme of it runs all the way through the New Testament, actually in the Old Testament as well. But it really comes to a, a real, uh, real, real uh, point of presentation and central focus in the New Testament. That's the word repentance. John the Baptist, before Jesus came, he began to preach for folks to repent, to prepare the way of the Lord. He would baptize people and helping people to make a change in their life. And he said he baptized them for repentance. The word repentance in the original Greek language is the word metanoia. The word metanoia means this, basically the putting together of two is a compound word that means the changing of your mind. That's the idea of, uh, of repentance. repentance. So that you're going one way, but you change your mind. You're going the ways of the world, the ways of sin, and you change your mind. You change the way you think, and you turn toward God. We use that in terms of coming to relationship with God. But repentance is something you and I need to do through our whole life. You know why? Because our mind still needs to be changed until the day we die, right? Because you and I get stuff in our head. I'm going to talk about this in the new year, very important series when I talk about remind, how do we change the way that we think. But you and I need to have our minds transformed, our hearts and lives transformed by the renewing of our mind. And Joseph had this ability to respond to God. Now, please notice what happens here. Go back with me. I know I'm reading this passage over and over again, but it's important. Chapter, nine, chapter 1, verse 19. 
Look at what happens here. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man, loved God, respected God, did not want to disgrace her publicly, gracious man. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered all this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Here's the input, okay? Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She'll have a son. You'll give him the name Jesus. He'll save people from their sins. This was going back to a prophecy from Isaiah that the virgin will give birth to a child. You'll call him Emmanuel, verse 24. When Joseph woke up, notice what happens here. He did exactly what he planned on doing before. Is that what it says? No. What does it say? He did as the angel of the Lord commanded. Hey, don't reject the angels God will send into your life. Amen? It's not just heavenly beings. Sometimes God will send the angel of a person into your life to help you. To help you clarify your thinking. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. What I want you to see is that Joseph had his mind changed by God. Right? Why? Because he was guidable. Because he was faithful. I want to conclude with Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6, because I think it does a great job in summarizing who Joseph was. Most men, or people we could say there, most men, most people will proclaim everyone his own goodness. But a faithful man, who can find? When God looked over the portals of heaven and said, I I need somebody to be the earthly guardian of my son. I need someone that I can count on, someone that I can look to that has the character to handle this assignment. Who can I give this assignment to? He said, I know I'm looking for a faithful man. Can I find a faithful man anywhere that I can use? And God looked down and found a man by the name of Joseph. Why? Because he respected God. He was a man who was gracious. He was a man who was guidable. I like the way that today's English version renders this. Everyone talks about how loyal and faithful he is, but just try to find someone who really is. God said, I've looked around. It's not not easy to find someone who's really faithful, someone who's really godly, someone who's really gracious, someone who's really guidable. Joseph was the real deal. He was all of those things. And my prayer for us today as we are moving into this Christmas season is that God will allow you not just to want your best, but God will, will allow you to begin to be your best, to have the character that says, I'm going to respect God, I am going to be gracious, and I'm going to live the rest of my life as a guidable person. If you'll do that, I promise you, there will be a best pathway for your life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word this morning. We're so very grateful for you speaking to us today, and we ask that these words would settle deeply in our heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray for... All the congregation gathered here in Gaithersburg and in Frederick as well. We pray that this morning you would allow us by the privilege and power of the Holy Spirit to grasp, Lord, what it means to be truly godly, to respect you and to fear you, to reverence you, God. I pray that in any way that we have diminished you in our thinking, that we've not allowed you to be who you are in our lives, God, I pray that you'd help us to to change our thinking about you today. God, I pray that you'll help us to be gracious. Lord, for those of us who've been hurt by other people, those of us who've been disgraced by someone or embarrassed by someone, I pray that today you would allow us to respond, Lord, not in kind, but to respond in the same way that you respond to us.
with grace. And Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus that you'll also allow us to be guidable. Lord, I pray that in all of our lives that we would not be closed to your input, closed to your, your working, Lord, closed to your advising of our life. And we pray that we would be guidable, humble, responsive, responsive teachable to, by you. We pray that that would work deeply in our hearts today by your Holy Spirit. We ask it in the name that is above every name, in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you. Hi, I'm Pastor Dale O'Shields. I want to thank you for listening to our broadcast of Practical Living. I trust it was a blessing to you, and I trust that you're growing in your spiritual journey. Or perhaps you've never even started your spiritual journey, and today this is your opportunity to make a decision to move forward, getting to know Jesus Christ, letting Him have control of your life. See, the Bible says of Jesus that He stands at the door and knocks, and if anyone will hear His voice, you can open that door and let Him in. If you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, today is the day that you need to do it. In fact, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. If you'll pray this prayer sincerely with all your heart, mean it with all your heart, Jesus Christ will come into your life. Repeat this prayer after me. Say these words. Say, Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I'm sorry for all the things I've done wrong in my life. I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior of the world, that you died for me and rose again. Just simply tell Jesus, I believe in you. Now open up your heart and say, Jesus, come into my life. By faith, I receive you as my Savior, my Lord, in Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me just then, sincerely, I want you to know something. Jesus heard it, and he saved you. You're a new creation in Christ. You get a brand new start in your journey with God. But now you have to grow. You have to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus every day. And so we want to help you get started. And we have some resources available on our website that will do so called New Beginnings. So check them out. And again, I want to thank you for being a part of today's broadcast. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings.